Hello and welcome back to Tabling the Podcast. My name is Ariana Karp and I'm here with a wonderful group of actors that's going to take us through the pivoting, the point changing act of uh, Act 3 where people make a lot of deep decisions that have huge effects on each other and everyone's lives becomes a little bit more intermingled and dark and twisty. Um, so what we what we do here on tabling the podcast is we we take a we take a script and we we give the parts to a bunch of wonderful actors and we let them read through it and we stop and we talk about the characters and the text and the relationships and the plot and the writing and whatever else strikes our fancy and hopefully by the at the time we end the act we sort of have a collective understanding of the act and then we go back and we use the ideas that we discussed to uh, inform our, our second read through and that becomes our sister podcast, Radio Shakespeare Lab. So we hope that you, our listeners are following both the Tabling the Podcast and Radio Shakespeare Lab because I think they are a symbiotic relationship. Um, so without further ado, let us get right into act three, scene one, um, we ended act two with Julia deciding to go find her sweet and faithful question mark in quotations lover Proteus. And now we're going to see what he's up to. And he seems to be talking to the Duke of Milan, who at one point in this seems to forget that they're in Milan and they seems to think they're in Verona, but more on that later. Okay, <laughs> let's have fun. Sertorio, give us leave, I pray, a while. We have some secrets to confer about. Now, tell me, Proteus, what's your will with me? My gracious lord, that which I would discover, the law of friendship bids me to conceal. But when I call to mind your gracious favors done to me, undeserving as I am, my duty pricks me on to utter that which else no worldly good should draw from me. No, worthy prince. Sir Valentine, my friend, this knight intends to steal away your daughter. Myself am one made privy to the plot. I know you have determined to bestow her on Cheerio, whom your gentle daughter hates. And should she thus be stolen away from you, it would be much vexation to your age. Thus, for my duty's sake, I rather chose to cross my friend in his intended drift than, by concealing it, heap on your head a pack of sorrows, which would press you down, being unprevented, to your timeless grave. Proteus, I thank thee for thine honest care, which to requite, command me while I live. This love of theirs myself have often seen, haply when they have judged me fast asleep, and oftentimes have purposed to forbid Sir Valentine, her company, and my court. But fearing lest my jealous aim might err, and so unworthily disgrace the man, a rashness that I ever yet have shunned, I gave him gentle looks, thereby to find that which thyself hast now disclosed to me, and that thou mayst perceive my fear of this, knowing that tender youth is soon I nightly lodge her in an upper tower, the key whereof myself have ever kept, and thence she cannot be conveyed away. No, noble lord, they have, they have devised a mean how he her chamber window will ascend, and with a corded ladder fetch her down. 
for which the youthful lover now is gone, and this way comes he with it presently, where, if it please you, you may intercept him. But, good my lord, do it so cunningly that my discovery be not aimed at. For love of you, not hate unto my friend, hath made me publisher of this pretense. Upon mine honor, we shall never know that I had any light from thee of this. Adieu, my lord. Sir Valentine is coming. Okay, so let's just pause here very briefly, because I just want to talk about this little remarkable manipulation that's happening here. Um, so, yeah, Mitch, tell me about this big first speech of yours, and just the, I, I'm very <coughs> struck by the way in which Proteus frames this narrative. Um, yeah, any any thoughts you have on this, on just this whole first bit that you just read? Yeah, I mean, he takes the things that are, um, like, obstacles to him, right? He's, he's very, very good friends with Valentine, uh, and Valentine is in love with Sylvia. Um, the Duke wants Sylvia to marry Churio. And he turns them into assets, right? It's like, you can trust me because I love Valentine and I wouldn't, would never do this, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Or, or, or this is really hard for me, I guess, to do um, because I love Valentine so much. Um, yeah, et cetera. The other thing is like, all this stuff about his age is like really popped out to me as I was reading it. Um, he's like, mm -hmm. I'm worried that this is going to kill you if they do it. Yeah. And I love you so much. And you've been so great to me in the sh very short time that I've been here. Um, yeah, it, it, it's a very interesting tactic to like explicitly say, and you're old and, and yeah. frail. And I'm worried this, this news might really kill you. What, what is, I, I, I thank you. That also popped out for me that it was sort of this weird this weird, like, I'm so worried about you and therefore this is why I'm bringing this to you. But something about it also, I, I, I wanna bring you into the conversation, Larry, because there is something to me rather remarkable about the Duke's response to this and his actual acknowledgement that he's not blind. He's totally recognized that this was a dynamic that was going on. But the, the part that really stuck out to me was that, but fearing lest my jealous aim might err and so unworthily disgrace a man, a rashness that I ever yet have shunned, right? Like that there is an abundance of caution on his part that he doesn't want to create a scandal, which is something that is not, <laughs> is not shared by many father figures in Shakespeare, which I think is worth noting that this, mm. this is... You know, if you contrast this with like Lord Capulet, for example, well, I actually, oh, well, you know, I, I, there I, is something like very much less reactionary about his reaction. Yeah, I, I the, what I'm seeing is that in this, it's funny because I, I hear, you know, I take age as, you know, my due. You know what it's due to me, due to my my position and age, I, and I just don't hear it the way he he, he gives it to me, or he mm -hmm. thinks he's giving it to me. I actually think it's a, a compliment, um, but it also because 
you know, these young men are my protégés. I mean, or they are, I'm helping them along. The fact that he's come to me, i it's almost kind of precious. Oh, yes, thank you. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. I've got it covered. Um, but but also, he, I do think, and I say I've got it covered. It's also covered in the fact that I think he he's alarmed that it actually, something actually happened. Mm. You know, you build the dam, but if someone says there's a leak, sure, got it. You know, that, uh, and we have people to take care of that, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And that's why I, I think it's, it's my way of acknowledging him. I have to give him his due. Um, there's yeah. honor at stake. But also it's, it's the sense that he's, um, he's telling me something that I'm not realizing it has gone that far. Yeah. But I've got it covered. Okay. Yeah. So rest assured, I've, and I've got this. But I'm so glad you brought it to my attention. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So it, it's very layered, every line here. So, but fearing lest my jealous A might err, I'm kind of like, uh, or uh, and thereby um, that which thyself has now disclosed to me. I'm giving him his due. And he's saying, we're really good. These yeah. are good things. We're in a good corporation here. You know, it's like, we're all on the same page. Um, not knowing really how far it's gone. So when he tells me in the next section it's it's stunning yeah well he the duke has he doesn't say he doesn't go on and on he's like oh of course yeah yeah my god yeah (laughs) absolutely yeah and there is it is interesting to me that there is no reaction to the second one which is the important information that they know they, they've found a way around your solution right and then it, it continues right yeah. it's like who you know who how did they do that yeah <laughs> and which makes uh, the i think the next you know when, when uh valentine does come in you know that that's that part we were talking about last time where i said i i've got to you know i've got to figure out how to do this i mm-hmm. uh, you know I wasn't ready for this. So there's stalling, there's figuring it out, um, and yet being cool, collected, you know? Yeah, very much. um, And I I, I know, uh, Gilroy, that you will enjoy this. There's a lot of sort of references to the book of the courtier, right? And, um, and, and, and what does the perfect courtier do? They, they sort of make it work however they need to in the moment um izzy did you did you have something and then uh and then sam yeah um i just wanted to point out the line that really gets me where he's like oh yeah i know sometimes i've noticed that they're like flirting while i'm pretending to sleep and it's like where is this happening where are you like pretending to sleep and then they're they're like this is a good time to flirt like that's a metaphor, know, I just, right? I think as well. Well, he's not paying attention, right? I think is what he yeah. means. <laughs> but I just love the like, the like, just casual, like, yeah. You know, yeah. I don't know that. I yeah. mean, that, it's a I, podcast. I, will say, I just tapped my head, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, visual humor doesn't always work on this podcast. But um, I, I will say that I, I don't know that it's entirely a metaphor because I have seen some artwork of like the Duke asleep in a chair 
and like Valentine, like reaching <laughs> out to like grab at Sylvia or whatever. And she's there wow. like, you know, and it's just like, it's very disturbing. It's also like, this is, this does not look consensual in any shape or form. Um, but anyway, uh, let, uh, Gilroy, please. Um, I, what I'm sort of struck by here is just like what an absolute mensch and like just good guy the Duke is. Like the Duke has just been incredibly kind to everybody throughout this play. In the last act, he was like, oh, you speak highly of your friend? Yeah, I'll let him come to my court and like treat him as one of my own when I'm here. During yeah. the course of this speech, he's like, yeah, you know what? I did see Valentine and my daughter flirting but like, I didn't want to do anything about it because I didn't want to besmirch his honor if I was incorrect. And I have never besmirched a man's honor unless I was <laughs> dang sure it deserves some besmirching. So like, I'm just really incredibly tickled by the Duke at this point as like, just sort of like a sterling representation of like, what a good noble should be kind of mm -hmm. going back to that courtly thing that was just uh, that you mentioned Ari and like what makes a good lord and a good courtier and, and all that he's a gracious gracious host this duke is well and I think there has to be a baseline here what the society is and I think the duke represents the I you know or even he wants to represent exact go therefore we understand what Proteus, Valentine, what everyone else is going through, because they're not going to uphold the standards. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Does that make sense? That that does make sense. And I think, actually, I, I would like to just throw a wrench a little bit into this, Sam, and say that there is a very different way in the way men's honor is talked about and the way women's yeah, honor right. is talked about in this play and the way yeah. both of those things are respected in this play. And I think that is a really important distinction that is going to get even more important the further and further we go into this play. Um, uh, were there any sort of final thoughts on this little section before we move into this, this epic how can like i love this next section and just the, the all of the different tactic shifts that are going to happen here um oh yeah mitch please just wanted to no just want to point out it's um well actually first of all i think that the duke being wanting everybody to have a good time and like or the men at least to sort of like have a good time in his place is actually a similarity to lord capulet this isn't that germane yeah, yeah, to this yeah. conversation but at the beginning cap capulet's the one who says to tybalt like no it's okay there's yeah. Montagues at our party. It's fine. Like, I want them to have a good time, right? And it actually feels like a similarity in that then he goes off the handle yeah. um, later. But I think it's interesting that Proteus Proteus has receipts, basically, here. Proteus is... is I don't think he knows that the Duke's going to say, I've got it under control. But he, ha he must be aiming from the beginning to get to... Valentine's got a ladder, and he's coming this way you can yes. go see if he has this ladder and that is proof like that he's about to go steal your daughter away yeah and also the the um <laughs> thank you isabel and colin because now i'm totally addicted to listen to listening to the lolita podcast so um i've been thinking a lot about people stealing daughters um but <sighs> the, just that there is um there there is the, the, the language of violence associated with what is actually a consensual relationship between Valentine and Sylvia and this actual deep 
real love that like we are never at any point in the play in any doubt about the way that the two of them feel about each other that it they they are for the entire play faithful to one another and so framing their love in this very violent sort of violatory way is such a brilliant tactic on Proteus's part um, because it's like actually as we're going to see the the term sir is going to keep getting tossed around with both <clears throat> Sir Proteus and Sir Valentine right putting them in the same rank and I think it's really really important um, that he frames it in this way right that he frames it in this way that's almost like he's trying to take your daughter by force he's not saying that directly but using the verb steal instead of like i don't know something else has got to also be a provocation in and of itself what the verb he chooses to use and the action he chooses to assign to it are very important yeah not just elope but steal yes exactly and and stolen away from you Yes. Right. it's like it is it's not violence against her it's violence against the established order uh, yes. Yeah. The and of course, of. it's violence against the order of her not choosing right. <laughs> her own partner. <laughs> but yeah, we'll get to that, too. Um, I would love to dive right on in to Valentine <laughs> entering <laughs> with a ladder under his cloak. <laughs> right. I really hope this is part of his daily carry <laughs> for those bag nerds out there. <laughs> Daily carry, a corded ladder with hooks. Okay, let's jump right in and we'll go through to the Duke's exit. Sir Valentine, whither away so fast? Please, it, your grace, there is a messenger that stays to bear my letters to my friends and I am going to deliver Be they of much import? Uh, the tenor of them doth but signify my health and happy being at your court. Nay, then, no matter. Stay with me a while. I am to break with thee of some affairs that touch me near, wherein thou must be secret. Tis not unknown to thee that I have sought to match my friend Sertorio to my daughter. I know it well, my lord, and sure the match were rich and honorable. Mm. Uh, besides, the gentleman is full of virtue, bounty, worth, and qualities beseeming such a wife as your fair daughter. Uh, cannot your grace win her to fancy him? No, trust me. She is peevish, sullen, forward, proud, disobedient, stubborn, lacking duty, neither regarding that she is my child nor fearing me as if I were her father. And may I say to thee, this pride of hers, upon advice, hath drawn my love from her, and where I thought the remnant of mine age should have been cherished by her childlike duty, I am now full resolved to take a wife, and turn her out to who will take her in. Then let her beauty be her wedding dower, for me and my possessions she esteems not. What would your grace have me do in this? There is a lady in Verona here whom I affect, but she is nice and coy and not esteems my aged eloquence. Now, therefore, I would have thee to my tutor, 
For long ago, I had forgot to court, and besides, the fashion of the time is changed. How and which way I may bestow myself to be regarded in her sun-bright eye? Uh, win her with gifts, if she respects not words. Dumb jewels often in their silent kind, more than quick words do move a woman's mind. But she did scorn a present that I sent her. A woman sometimes scorns what best contents her. Send her another. Never give her o'er, for scorn at first makes after love the more. If she do frown, tis not in hate of you, but rather to beget more love in you. If she do chide, tis not to have you gone, for why the fools are mad if left alone. Take no repulse, whatever she doth say, for get you gone, she does not mean away. Flatter and praise, commend, extol their graces, Though ne'er so black say that they have angels' faces, that man that hath a tongue, I say, is no man if with his tongue he cannot win a woman. But she, I mean, is promised by her friends unto a youthful gentleman of worth, and kept severely from resort of men, that no man hath access by day to her. Why, then I would resort to her by night. Aye, but the doors be locked and the keys kept safe, that no man hath recourse to her by night. Uh, what lets but one may enter at her window? Her chamber is aloft, far from the ground, and built so shelving that one cannot climb it without apparent hazard of his life. Why, then a ladder quaintly made of cords to cast up with a pair of anchoring would serve to scale another hero's tower, so behold, so bold Leander would adventure it. Now, as thou art a gentleman of blood, advise me where I may have such a ladder. When would you use it? Pray, sir, tell me that. This very night, for love is like a child that longs for everything that he can come by. By seven o'clock, I'll get you such a letter. But hark ye, I will go to her alone. How, best, how shall I best convey the ladder thither? I, it will be light, my lord, that you may bear it under a cloak that is of any length. A cloak as long as thine will serve the turn? Why, my good lord. Then let me see thy cloak. I'll get me one of such another length. Uh, why, any cloak will serve the turn, my lord. How shall I fashion me to wear a cloak? I pray thee, let me feel thy cloak upon me. What letter is this? What's here? To Sylvia. And here an engine fit for my proceeding. I'll be so bold to break the seal for once. My thoughts to harbor with my Sylvia, slaves they are to me that send them flying. Oh, could their master come and go as lightly, himself would lodge where senseless they are lying. My herald thoughts and thy pure bosom rest them, while I, <laughs> their king, that thither them importune, do curse the grace that with such grace hath blessed them, because myself do want my servant's fortune. I curse myself, for they are sent by me, that they should harbor where their lord should be. What's here? Sylvia, this night I will enfranchise thee. Tis so. 
and here's the latter for the purpose. Why, Phaeton, for thou art Mirab's son, wilt thou aspire to guide the heavenly car, and with thy daring folly burn the world? Wilt thou reach stars because they shine on thee? Go, base intruder, overweening slave, bestow thy fawning smiles on equal mates, and think my patience more than thy desert is privilege for thy departure hence. Thank me for this more than for all the favors which all too much I have bestowed on thee. But if thou linger in my territories longer than swiftest expedition will give thee time to leave our royal court by heaven, my wrath shall far exceed the love I ever bore my daughter for thyself. Be gone, I will not hear thy vain excuse, but as thou lovest thy life, make speed from hence. And why not death, rather than living in torment? To die is to be banished from myself, and Sylvia is myself. Banished from her is self from self. A deadly banishment. What light is light if Sylvia be not seen? What joy is joy if Sylvia be not by? Unless it is, is to be to think that she is by and feed upon the shadow of perfection except I be by Sylvia in the night. There is no music in the nightingale unless I look on Sylvia in the day. There is no day for me to look upon. She is my essence and I leave to be if I be not by her fair influence, fostered, illumined, cherished, kept alive. I fly not death to fly his deadly doom. Terry, I hear, I but attend on death, but fly I hence, I fly away from life. Great, let us pause there and just talk about this section. Um, I love the way narratively that it unfolds. It's like this, I'm bringing you into my, my inner circle. I'm gonna tell you about this plan of mine. Um, and it's just so artfully done you know you gotta you gotta hand it to the duke it's done with such a a semblance of of naturalism it's really it's kind of it's kind of remarkable um i love the halting sonnet that we get in the letter right this is one of the only yeah. times that um we're gonna have a letter that's in verse and this is like it would be a shakespeare sonnet but it's missing a quatrain um so that's kind of fun but yeah, uh, both Larry and Sam, like any the thoughts on this section and just your sort of uh, experience as actors going, going through this section and, and the way in which it unfolds. God, I mean, talk about just not wanting to be there. Like just really like a character. Like sometimes I really feel like characters don't want to be in the scenes that they are in, like desperately want to like leave. And I almost think that there's like an amazing sight gag at the beginning of it where Valentine walks on stage, sees the Duke and immediately does one of those, just like turns and walks the other way to like, <laughs> I love where that. are you going so quickly in the, in the thing? But it's, it's really funny because there's a lot of lying straight up at the top. And then there is like a section where suddenly Valentine does get like really into it. 
you know, kind of into the plot where he's like, oh, I actually can be like useful here. And the Duke is like me. We both kind of like, we kind of are sharing this thing. And um, there's a change in language at a certain point in time. I kind of lost my place uh, a little bit in the text that I'm, there I am. Um, but there's this really weird, um, when he's courting, the whole speech that um, Valentine has about courting is just such a different change in language um, for it's him. It, it yeah, rhymes, it's right? Really, it's couplets. Yeah, yeah, no, suddenly yeah. I'm rhyming away. Yeah. And, and it's a little bit more, and, and I, I think that there's something in this character where he can't help but show off. Right, there's this need that these young men have. I think Proteus has it a little bit too, but Valentine, where suddenly you're in a, in a situation where you can be helpful and you can show off, and suddenly the language gets much more heightened and more verbose, and all of a sudden he's in couplets. Um, and it feels sort of flash to me. That's the way that I'm sort of receiving it right now. Sam, I, I, what I got from that, because it it, it's the first time I've actually heard it spoken to me, um, <laughs> is that every couplet is like, uh, it's like uh, advice from some, the like 40 sonnets. And yeah. he's just pulling out the best advice from this sonnet and that sonnet and that sonnet and that yeah. sonnet. That's, I think that's why the, the rhyming scheme is there. And then it's like, when do I, when do I answer your question? <laughs> Because <laughs> yeah. I'm feeling like, how do I get him back on track? Yeah. So there's a sense of, I think the comedy is in like, if you stop, you're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so here's one more piece of advice. And here, because yeah. I, I think the Duke then wrenches it back. But she, I mean, yeah. is like, oh, let's get back to the thing I'm talking about. Yeah. So, can, I actually, uh, can I actually say something about that line that the Duke has? Like, I wonder if it does get to him because the thing he says, the Duke says after that is, but she, I mean, is promised by her friends unto a youthful gentleman of worth. It, and then her friends are keeping her in a locked tower. Like, is that how it works? Or is he flustered <laughs> and he's making this up? Obviously. No, he's making it up. Friends, I, he pulls friends out of his ass. Right. It's like, <laughs> he's like a little bit off his game in this moment. Because it's, it's too, it's like, uh, it's like, yes, uh, would you sign this? Would you sign my auto, this autograph book? It's for my aunt in, yeah. <laughs> in Miami. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and I think I think there's something else funny about that is exactly right. The friends is definitely like a way of shielding, but but the a useful gentleman of worth, which is what Cheerio is, which is, you know, the main rival for for Sylvia. So there is a way of like, well, let me get his emotions here instead of this this strange sing songy advice that all seems to be right. like from it's, you know, I think of like sorry harry potter reference but like when ron weasley gets the how to charm witches book and he suddenly like starts acting all differently around hermione <laughs> like i feel like this is like one of my this is like he like <clears throat> swallowed a book about you know obviously male intuition about women <laughs> and just like just they all rhyme and they're all like okay this is the first point that i learned and this is the second point um so i wonder where those like where the pauses are in that speech right like if if it is at the end of each 
or if it is, as you say, Larry, like there is, there is a desperation that is motivating. I'm just very curious about what is motivating this very weird Valentine speech. Um, it also reminds me of Moliere. You get a lot of these yeah, kinds of yeah. uh, layered advice things like in Misanthrope and stuff like yeah. that, where you, you, it's like it's examined from each side, you know. Mm. Um, but of course, Moliere is in, you know, is, is not in, it's in Alexandrine, I think. Yes. So, uh, so, but it's, <laughs> so it's not that. It's better for French. <laughs> right. So, uh, but uh, it, it has that sense, this, this, this reads like a French um, monologue, basically. Mm, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, Miles, please, and then and then Sam. Well, and and I think I think again that's kind of like a, a I think and to give it like a contemporary uh, flair. I kind of it is. I mean, if when going from the angle that this is kind of out of a uh, book, I mean, there's there are still books like that being. Re- being circulated oh, yeah. among among the pickup artists set. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that is important that to me this seems such like such different language than the way Valentine yeah. talks about Sylvia. He doesn't talk yes. about her the way he talks about women in this little section. So to me no. this this speech really sticks out and I I yeah. Sam, do you have no. some some uh, thoughts on that? I mean, I do, because I really do think it's it's one of those scenes where as I was reading through it during the cold read that I was like, oh, I feel this need to do a bunch of stuff because this is one of those times where like physical presence and the way that you hold your body can convey a lot of input. But there's so many painful things that are going on for Valentine in this particular moment. He's off to abscond with this guy's daughter uh, with the actual ladder on him in that moment and bumps into his dad. And then the first thing that's really painful that I think that's actually like really painful for Valentine is, is that he has to give uh, Turio, Turio um, all those compliments, yeah. right? Like the first section that feels really bad is that <laughs> whole like, oh, he's full of virtue, bounty, work, and other such qualities that are perfect for your daughter, sir. Um, and then when we get there, I'm also at the rhyming section the quality of the rhyme is actually like i'm sure that op- in, in op there would be a rhyme between or and more and yeah. um a, a, and, and gone and alone maybe um but the rhyme of you and you is just so incredibly painful to me yeah. and is so um unbecoming of these writers who could just rhyme like that was their bread and butter at this time. And there's something really- Hey, nicely done. Nicely done there, Sam. (laughs) There's just something really, but it's just, it it, it almost feels in a weird way that there is a sense of regurgitation, but also like stalling here Mm -hmm. that he's like really, and and I think that that Mitch was right about that, that there's like a, you know, uh, if she do frown, tis not need of you but rather to be get more loving you. Like, you know what I mean? There's, like, I think a sense of, of fumbling because it is, it's so different. And the rhymes are so, that they're not like the graceful rhyming that's in Tartu right. or something like that. It is a very, very, very poor attempt at like courtly Alexandrines or something. Right. 
Yeah. Well, Sam, you're going to have to remember that I would be, with every couplet, I have a re reaction to it. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I would, you know, in person, I would be feeding into your discomfort. Yeah, but... Do you know what I mean? Which yeah. we don't have here. Because I don't say anything. Except when I do something, I'm in. And then I let you cook. Yeah. It, it's, a, it's a section ripe for choices because it is weird for the character. And even with a, uh, you know, this is Shakespeare's first play, but he's already shown a pretty high bar for rhyming in other parts of this play. And this is just so bad. It has <laughs> to be intentional. And there has yeah. to be choices uh, that Shakespeare wants the actor to make here. Um, yeah. You know, and we would, of course, figure that out. Absolutely. Um, Mitch, did you have something as well? It's very similar. I mean, I, I do think the more we talk about this, that there's a, uh, with all of the stuff that we've been talking about, there's also a, there's a tactic shift from Valentine uh, in his discomfort at first is, okay, let me like deal with this. And then we're done. And now the tactic shift seems to be, let me just monopolize the conversation. Yeah. Like, let me be in the driver's seat of this conversation. And I think that's evidenced by the, he starts the rhyme, <laughs> right? Dumb jewels yeah. often in their silent kind, more than quick words do move a woman's mind. The Duke has a line, but she did score in a present that I sent her, which ends with a semicolon. And Valentine, I think, cuts him off to yeah. complete that couplet. A woman sometimes scorns what best contents her. And yeah. I, I think that, that there's, yeah, like Sam said, it's, there's like, instructions here that like something is happening and it's so juicy as an actor to make choices within that in saying that in terms of tactics it could also be now that like i want to give good advice you can make a tactic of let my advice be so bad here that the duke is like you're not helpful and walk away <laughs> there's like a lot of different ways that you could play that totally. but i do think that the tactic is i'm gonna lie to get out of this uh, okay, I can't, I'm going to compliment this dude and maybe like get myself gone because I don't want to talk about this clearly. And then the third one is, oh, I can either capitalize on the conversation. My advice can be so bad. I can be like, maybe, maybe, maybe he's trying to be like, don't come to Valentine about things about love here. Like, like yeah. this advice is just brutally not correct. I I also wonder if there's a series of attempted provocations that the Duke is attempting. Um, the, the, the previous, um, the big Duke speech on page 49, the no, trust me, she is peevish, sullen, forward, proud, disobedient, stubborn, lacking. To me, that is a kind of provocation to get Valentine to go, no, no, she's the best and I love her and how dare you? And like, that is like perhaps the first tactic to get him. But Valentine very wisely says, so what do you want me to do about it? Instead of reacting in a way that's like, don't you diss my yeah. woman, you know? So like, I think, um, I think there's an interesting, each, each, like each person is negotiating their way towards whatever their outcome is. And I did, I really enjoyed Larry. You're, thank you for pointing out they're in Milan. He's the Duke of Milan. And he says, there is a lady in Verona here. <laughs> that was very- Here. <laughs> in Verona, no, here. Where am I? Uh, here. <laughs> that really cracked me up. So thank you for but a laugh. <laughs> it's, it's another opportunity for a great choice, right? Yeah. Because he's thinking Verona and it can be a fuck, like, it can be like a fuck. Like, should I just fuck this up? 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but it's it's interesting because I. I I don't know how I'm going to get Valentine to um, stand down. Do you know what I mean? Go away. So it's funny that I was thinking of the peevish someone who's like, she's bad. You don't like her. Don't want her. You don't. You don't know what you're you're up to. You know, if if you had any inclination, I know you have no inclination. But by the way, she's ugly and she's stupid, yeah. and you don't want any of this. Okay, so go away. I don't know about, I really don't know about the latter. I don't know where it is. Yeah. I mean, unless I, he looks awfully fat today. But <laughs> I, I, I don't know where this latter is. It, it's not here. It's not what Proteus said. He said yeah. Proteus, he's coming with the latter. And he doesn't have the latter. So is Proteus right? Yeah. I, I you know, I, I have to figure this out. So... I to me this is like a setup for classic farce in that like it would be so great if valentine had the ladder behind his back and the duke just kept trying to get to see what was behind his back for this whole scene and he mm -hmm. just like keeps sort of so they kind of just keep circling each other which is what they're doing in the language. Oh, yeah. I, I think Metaphorically, I he's, it's it, all I would, circles. Yeah. yeah, I would love to sort of stage them kind of going in circles as they go in circles with the language. Um, Mitch, please, did you did you have something else? No, Larry just basically said it, which is the Duke could banish him at any moment. Yeah. Like, it is telling, I think, that he is still invested in making sure that he's correct. Uh, he, you That's know, true. Before he does it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he goes I, about it in the right way, right? So I actually wonder something that with that exit is how much of that is genuine anger and how oh, much uh, of that is a play for Valentine to scare him off. Yeah, but it's also when you have a protege, or I don't want to use, he's not really my protege, but when you are investing in the next generation to come up and be sirs and and mm -hmm. take their place mm -hmm. and someone disappoints you yeah it's, it's uh, to me um again it's almost not about sylvia it, it, it's because yeah. he says i ever bore my daughter or thyself um i what i have bestowed on thee yeah it, it, i've been you know the trust is broken and i i still don't understand it yeah. So just go away. Yeah. Because if I don't see you, I won't be, uh, you know, I want, that's the only way I can deal with seeing this betrayal in front of my face. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think you've, you've hit upon it too, that the important part is that he's betrayed you, not what he's actually, he's betrayed your higher crime than him attempting to steal away your daughter. Oh, that's what I mean. He yeah. has betrayed Sylvia, but it's yeah. it's it's not just he's going to take off with my daughter. It's you really fucked up, Mister. Yeah, yeah. You you know I I got you into Harvard, <laughs> and now you got to leave. You know, no a lot of people don't get to Harvard. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah, not everybody gets into an Ivy League school, yeah. and you fucked it up. Yeah, I think that's Absolutely. more about that. Isn't well, that weird? Some, some telling language in Act Two 
talking about and, and, and something that I've read in a lot of the critical analysis of this play, that this is really an education parable, right? This is about teaching young men how to become good counselors to emperors. And we get that language of he would be a great counselor to an emperor. And it's like, this is the, this is the point of Valentine and Proteus going away from home, right? Is to get these skills to become useful for whomever sitting on whatever throne is nearest to them. Um, yeah, Sam. Um, you know, I, I, I just, well, before you moved on any forward, I do want to talk about this weird little soliloquy that, that Valentine also has at the end. Because yes, I'm, please. I'm not sure how I feel about it. Like, I, 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 this is not one of my favorite sadness lover speeches in the canon, I think. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> um, and it almost feels like to me, because I, I do think that Valentine, again, is a very verbose character when he's when he's with Proteus, when he's with other people. We've seen him be um, almost overly uh, complicated with his language sometimes. And there's almost a staccato to this yes. where it feels like he can't really figure out what just how his fortune changed that fast. Yeah. He, you know, and also, that's- I think it's those monosyllabic words that this speech mm -hmm. is very monosyllabic, right? Which is very different from the way that he speaks with Proteus. There's all of these clever, complicated polysyllabic words. And here it's, and why not death, you know, to die. Um, to be, you know, there's these strings that actually force you as the actor to slow down. Um, yeah. He's also just exploring the same metaphor over and over and over again, yep. really. It's just the same thing, which is like, what is this if Sylvia is not here? Let me set up like another thesis and an antithesis to compare my life without Sylvia and and he says Sylvia's name five times throughout yeah. the play. Like, we, the audience, know exactly who he's talking about. Yeah. He can't really be talking about anybody else. And yet he still feels the name to, uh, or the need to say her name five times throughout the course of this. Um, and there, there is, it really does feel like a person who can't, like I was just about to go get my, the love of my life and we were going to elope and everything was, amazing mm. and now i can't even begin to comp like i can't even find the words to describe how i feel anymore i can't even get out of this metaphor to describe how i feel i think shakespeare perfects this speech in romeo when he yeah. goes banish it banish it banish it banish it the repetition yeah. um and the the repetition here is sylvia 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 yeah, it's really it's almost the same monologue except he's been banished, but he doesn't say banished. He doesn't talk about banished, he talks about Sylvia. And so, to me, but it's the same, it's that same, how do I, if I keep talking about it, if I say it out loud, maybe I will come to understand. And so the understanding is on the lines mm -hmm. over and over and over and hearing them come out of your mouth. And perhaps by putting the emphasis in Romeo and Juliet on banished, it makes the speech more active, right? Because it's centering mm -hmm. around this one verb, which is this thing that's happening to him, as opposed to this speech, which is all about a name, right? And so there, there's, there's something to me much more active about that Romeo speech. It's about, 
what has happened to him and what is happening to him. And this is, is not, this is a much more kind of, I don't know what to call it. Like a, a sort of meditation on something. <laughs> Miles, did you have something that you, that you wanted to Well, bring? I mean, he, he... I'm, oh, I'm sorry. Am I stepping over some Larry? No, 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 no. I'm just not paying attention to the hands. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Miles, I mean, go ahead. I was, yeah, I mean, I was, I mean, I was going to say something, but I think, uh, I think Sam and Larry uh, pretty much said what I wanted to say, like uh, playing it as kind of Valentine being thrown off his game. That was, I think right. they, yeah. they, they, they pretty, they said what I wanted to say just better. And I think thro- <laughs> I think that thrown off is re- like knocked off center is is really good. And I think especially t- to just sort of tie Valentine and Proteus together for a moment. These are young men that are very used to getting what they want, right? Yeah, they're very used to getting what they want. And so the fact that they're not getting what they want, they react in different ways, right? And I think yeah. that's a telling character thing is that. It, you know, Proteus is reacting in a way where he is actively plotting to destroy his friend, potentially steal someone and betray everyone that he's ever known <laughs> because he can't right. get what he wants. And Valentine's response to not getting what he wants is to sort of shut down, right? And, to, and, and so the contrast of those two reactions I think is also going to be really important in our final scene when we finally get this confrontation. Um, but let us get. Well, I, I have one question about oh, yeah, please. something I don't understand about something I say. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And that is the line. And here an engine fit for my proceeding. I'll oh. be so bold to break the seal for once. It, it, it feels like an aside, but it doesn't say it's an aside. Yeah. But, uh, but it's also is like, I've got you, mister. Yeah, very much. Um, so the way that I interpret, so engine here, right, meaning this is a device. This is exactly the tool we were talking about. This is what I was looking for. This is what I was looking for. And, and for, for my proceeding here, meaning like course of action. So I think there's something I almost would put a question mark after proceeding like, and here an engine as if this is a line of discovery, like what's this? But it still could be a torture line. You know, it could be very like a ladder and a letter. But we just talked about such things. How do you have them? You know, there could be a really interesting sort of fake shock thing, I think, going on in those lines. But that that, that was what I took those lines to be about. Okay. I'll be so bold to break the seal. You've just told me how to steal away someone. Hey, I know someone who's locked up in a tower who's desired by many people. But even that is a point of um, of order, um, yeah. public order. You don't break a seal on someone's letter, and yeah. he's actually saying, "I'll, I'm going to do it." I think <laughs> like, that's what he is saying because even though it isn't, it's addressed to his daughter, right, not to him. But hmm. the circumstance and this, whatever this fantastical cloak <laughs> looks like, right, are all leading to very suspicious, um, suspiciousness. Um, so let us continue with the entrance of Proteus and Lance Lance. 
Uh, let's see what happens. We're, we're also wanted to note that we have been in verse. We're now going to switch to prose for a hot second. And then once Lancelot leaves us, we'll switch back to verse. Whenever you are ready. Run, boy. Run. Run and seek him out. So ho, so ho! What seest thou? Him we go to find. There's not a hair on his head, but tis a valentine. Valentine? No. Who then? His spirit? Neither. What then? Nothing. Can nothing speak? Master, shall I strike? Who wouldst thou strike? Nothing. Villain, forbear. Why, sir, I'll strike nothing, I pray you. Sirrah, I say forbear. Friend Valentine, a word. My ears are stopped and cannot hear good news. So much of bad already hath possessed them. Then in dumb silence will I bury mine, for they are harsh, untunable, and Is bad. Sylvia dead? No, Valentine. No, Valentine indeed, for sacred Sylvia. Has she forsworn me? No, Valentine. No, Valentine, if Sylvia have forsworn me. What's your news? Sir, there is a proclamation that you are banished. That thou art banished, oh, that's the news, from hence, from Sylvia, and from me, thy friend. Oh, I have fed upon this woe already, and now excess of it will make me surfeit. Does Sylvia know that I am banished? Aye, aye. And she hath offered to the doom, which unreversed stands in effectual force, a sea of melting pearl, which some call tears. Those at her father's churlish feet she tendered. With them, upon her knees, her humble self, wringing her hands, whose whiteness so became them, as if but now they waxed pale for woe. But neither bended knees, pure hands held up, sad sighs, deep groans, nor silver-shedding tears could penetrate her uncompassionate sire. But Valentine, if he be tain, must die. Besides, her intercession chafed him so when she for thy repeal was suppliant that to close prison, that to close prison, he commanded her, that to close prison, he commanded her I think, with many I think bitter. Yeah, I think you're right there. Uh, th this just meaning like private. So I think right. close, uh, close prison. Yeah. 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 It's a cool turn of phrase. All right. <laughs> that to close prison, he commanded her with many bitter threats of biding there. No more unless the next word that thou speakest have some malignant power upon my life. If so, I pray thee, breathe it in mine ear as ending anthem of my endless dollar. Cease to lament for that thou canst not help, and study help for that which thou laments. Time is the nurse and breeder of all good. Here, if thou stay, thou canst not see thy love. Besides, thy staying will abridge thy life. Hope is a lover's staff. Walk hence with that, and manage it against despairing thoughts. Thy letters may be here, though thou art hence, which, being writ to me, shall be delivered even in the milk-white bosom of thy love. The time now serves not to expostulate. Come, I'll convey thee through the city gate, and ere I part with thee, confer at large of all that may concern thy love affairs. As thou lovest Sylvia, though not for thyself, regard thy danger and along with me. I pray thee, Lance, if thou seest my boy, bid him make haste and meet me at the north gate. Go, Sirrah, find him out. Come, Valentine. Oh, my dear Sylvia, 
hapless Valentine. Let us pause there very briefly and just uh, talk about this little bit. I'm so intrigued by the next Lance line that Lance is here, sees all of this and is like, mm, not so down with what my guy's doing. <laughs> um, yeah. Tell me about this section, my friends. This is one where I see, I see lots of Proteus tactics um, at yeah. play and it, it really uh, actually reading it like made them feel even grosser, like reading it out loud with Sam made it feel even grosser uh, than <laughs> when I'd read it by myself. So Valentine says, don't tell me about this. Right. Uh, so I, I can't hear, you know, uh, I, I can't hear any news because I've heard so much bad news and a friend in that moment would not indicate that there is more bad news when he knows that yeah. Valentine already knows that news. <laughs> like yeah. what a dag, you know, what a like lemon juice in the wound. And then yeah. he goes into like, look what's happening to Sylvia because she, yeah. because the two of you want to be together. Look what you're doing to her basically. Ugh. Or look, look what is happening to her because of it at least. Oh, so gross. <laughs> I, I Valentine think eats it all up. Yeah. <laughs> And I would say, I feel like the reason that maybe Lance doesn't, which we find out in a moment, is because like, if you're working under someone, you're going to see their faults more than you're going to see anything else. So I think that it's, <laughs> it's not saying that Proteus is a bad actor here, just not as good as he likes to think, maybe. Mm-hmm. And I think it's funny, this is the first interaction we see between the two of them. Yeah. And I, I mean, like, it's it's very brief, obvious. It's like, go find him. And he's like, he's there. Bye. Um, and <laughs> But can I hit him? Am <laughs> yeah. I allowed to hit him? And I love that this is also like, they're just like, stop, shut up. But they don't actually do anything about it. Like, yeah. It's, it's, oh. it's a fun, it's, it's like, it's like he's attempting to bring humor into the situation. And they're like, yeah. not now. <laughs> But also yet, the fact that they don't like hit him in like retaliation tells me that like maybe Valentine needs that brevity or something. Yeah. <laughs> like the, that moment of like, I need this brief moment of humor, even if it's not going to make me laugh because otherwise I might just lash out and hit you. Yeah. Well, and, and he continues the theme of nothing, right? With the no Valentine and there is no Valentine and I am not. So maybe he he gets a little bit of that from 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 Lance 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 Lance. It's it is interesting. Like I think that Valentine suddenly gets funny again in this scene a little yeah. bit. Like even though the character like Valentine is sad, like he's very sad. He's, but the wit and the level of his replies actually I think is like elevated a little bit than the scene with the Duke. Like yeah. if I was an audience member watching this, you know the pun of is still uh, like you know the his responses to everything there, there's a bit of humor in there that i think is a notch elevated than sort of the humor that he was trying to put on in this mm, interesting yeah i, I yeah i also um i wish i had caught this izzy but in um the, the, sir there is a proclamation that you are vanished is is the line in a lot of scripts and then that yeah i was gonna ask about that was yeah. that a conscious change from a different version or i think it is oof. i want to say that that's what's in the folio 
Okay. Probably Just why I changed it. But it like, is a much funnier joke. I say let's like keep it with vanished because it is really funny. Because There's a proclamation that you're vanished. It's like, no, that you're banished, you idiot. You know, like I, there's there's a yeah. fun little one-two punch there. I would argue that because of Proteus's line afterwards, that what that's what make me because makes me yeah, think. Yeah, I totally Proteus agree. Like, I no, totally agree. it's this. Yeah. Um, so if it's like you're vanished, you're banished, and then he's like, no, you're banished. It's like, what? I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. think that. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. I, I say change it. Half of it's misprints, right? Half of it's misprints. Yeah, totally. The way, I am particularly creeped out by the way in which Proteus describes Sylvia praying for Valentine. Like it is a yeah. sort of hyper fetishized, like really weird I, I don't it just creeps me out creeps me out big time <laughs> just want to put that out there uh yeah larry isn't isn't that because valentine i mean proteus is like oh too bad boy yeah this is just such bad luck yeah and she's praying for you you know yeah. oh my god yeah I, how much is that i mean how far does that go I mean, the thing that strikes me is not so much the sort of the way in which the men describe Sylvia as being sacred is different than the way that a lot of these virgin on a pedestal early Shakespeare females are described. Like this is like she is actually holy in this very strange way. The purity of her shines through because I guess she's transparent. Um <laughs> Um, right. but there, there is, the, no, it the, is, the, the, it's like, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Sam. No, yeah. no, no, you're right. I mean, it's not that she's crying and her tears are like pearls. Yeah. Her, it's, she actually literally cries a sea of melting pearls, which some other base people might call tears. Yeah. Like that's yeah. the way that Proteus phrases that particular, um, image, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but, but but there's yeah it, it, yes, and I I agree with you, Ariana. There's in that speech, uh, the thing I pointed out was all of these like Sylvia's these bad things are happening to Sylvia, right? Mm -hmm. Because of this. But there's that one line where it's like, and she was beautiful. Well, yeah. she did. She was so pure and beautiful, which doesn't fit that tactic, right? Who wringing her hands, whose whiteness so became them as if, but now they waxed pale for woe, which like is not part of her agony. It's like her agony made her beautiful. And I, yeah. obviously in the racist, you know, um, Elizabethan way of thinking about this, but yeah, there's, there's a power thing. Like I, I really felt reading that, that Proteus is like a little bit high on power here yes. too. He, he's, he's tacticing to the max, but like, He's a, he lets a few things in because I think he's really high on how much power he has over her, how much power he has over her father, how much yeah. power he has over Valentine and Cheerio and Julia. And, you know, I mean, like yeah. he's and it, it, it's ooey. I mean, the, the line at the end, towards the end, as thou loved Sylvia, as thou lovest Sylvia, though not for thyself, regard thy danger and along with me. So he's there's a there's a reason for that. Like, do it for her, not for yourself. But also, he's like definitely throwing in there, I think out loud, 
to Valentine, like you love her, but you don't love her for you because these letters are not going to get to her, right? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. it yeah. is really. I mean, it is really difficult to me because I just keep, I'm really fascinated by Proteus and I just keep seeing like sort of ghosts of future manipulators. Yeah. Demetrius. I feel Demetrius all over this. Yeah. 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 I I cannot get over my, my strong sense of Angelo in in this. Um, uh, Also just because I was just because I've just been working on Julius Caesar like nonstop in preparation for directing it this summer. Um, I, there is, uh, and something I, I talked with the, the actor who's playing Cassius, uh, he, he pointed out there is a master manipulation at the top of Cassius to Brutus saying like, why aren't your eyes showing me the love that I've seen in them before? Like, which is such, that is the introduction to the character, right? It's like, I don't see the love in your eyes that used to be there, which is like, Oh my God, what a manipulative thing to do. But I, I, I see all of these different, the ways in which characters manipulate each other and then have a different voice in when they're alone. And I see the, the suaveness and the sort of polished images that he's presenting to valentine as being so different from the sort of degraded imagery of the way he talks about julia um in the previous time we saw him you know in act two and this sort of like really sort of weird ways in which he he uses image. so i'm i'm very interested by the t- sort of the manipulation the mask of manipulation that he that he puts on and sort of how that develops and how we see shakespeare develop that i think with a little bit more skill in later plays um but i'm i'm always really fascinated by who who's manipulating who in, in whatever scene <laughs> and for what purpose i think it's also really important that we also get to this next bit with with Lance Lance and Speed because we have just had Proteus doing the what is it the, the 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 receipt of Sylvia where he's describing her tears it's like every article right which was this sort of Elizabethan love sonnet thing which Shakespeare parodied beautifully in My Mistress Eyes Are Nothing Like the Sun right that 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 he's t- taking this trope of like each like you know made to his mistress eyebrow is another great line from as you like it about like the ridiculous details will go into about a specific part of our lover's body and then lance is going to take this idea and just turn it on its head by talking about this milkmaid that he's in love with and is it is to me like the most shakespearean thing possible to do is to sort of have this like thing about melting pearl or her tears to like yep she can milk <laughs> like that is like essentially shakespearean right yeah miles please <laughs> and that uh, and i think that also and i think this is like another see that you'd see in a comedy of uh, errors and like when yeah. they're describing the uh, when they're describing the kitchen maid you can you can find yes. out countries I'd in say her. That's a little more offensive of one, yeah. though. <laughs> yes. but, yeah, that but, yeah. one is is rough. It's always cut. 
I think oh. it's like always cut at this point, and it probably should be, but like, <laughs> yeah, really but, rough. I mean, yeah, but it's, I mean, I meant kind of in the sense like it's the, uh, it's just kind of, I, you, it's kind of like the same kind of uh, parody of like, you know, the yeah. ode to his mistress eyebrow kind of yes. thing. Absolutely. But, yeah. I, I know that we're not there yet, but when, when we're doing it, I sort of, in my first reading, was almost as if like, that actually the parody here is on the two gentlemen from Verona and not on the servants here. We're, we're oh, completely. The, yeah. Yeah. The servants are into like actually good reasons to be in love with people. Whereas <laughs> Valentine and Proteus <laughs> are just two friggin' clowns who are yeah. way too into books and not into the people that are around them and, yeah. and going on. But we'll, we'll get. Thank you for yes. Thank you for for pointing that out. I do think that's important. I I also think it's like what is the audience going to enjoy more than La, than Lancelot's you know coming in after this? We've had this this sort of awkward goodbye between Proteus and Julia, and then Lancelot comes on with Crab and is like, "Oh my God, my father's a shoe," you know, and like <laughs> like that is so much more enjoyable somehow and palatable to the audience and we start laughing and I think the same thing's going to happen here is like all of these moments allow the audience to breathe and like sort of release the tension of like, "Ah, what is happening these these horrible young men." <laughs> um so without further ado, let's let's jump right in and hear about this woman who can brew fine ale. A very important quality. I am but a fool, look you, and yet I have the my master is a kind of knave. But that's all one, if you be but one knave. He lives not now that knows me to be in love. Yet I am in love. Team of horses shall not place a woman. But what woman? I will not tell myself. And yet tis a milkmaid, yet tis not a maid, for she hath had gossips, yet tis a maid, for she is her master's maid and serves for wages. She hath more qualities than a water spaniel, which is much in a bare Christian. Here is the catalogue of her condition. In primus she can fetch and carry. Why, a horse can do no more. Nay, a horse cannot fetch, but only carry. Therefore, she is better than a jade. <gasps> oh, item, she can milk. Look, you are a sweet virtue to maid with clean hands. How now, Signor Lance? What news with your mastership? With my master's ship? Why, it is at sea. Well, your old vice still. Mistake the word. What news then in your paper? Why, the blackest news that ever thou heardst. Why, man, how black? Why, as black as ink. Let me read them. Fire me, thou canst not read. Thou liest, I can. I will try thee. Tell me this, who begot thee? Mary, the son of my grandfather. <laughs> oh, illiterate loiterer, it is the son of thy grandmother. This proves that thou canst not read. Come, fool, come. Try me in thy paper. There, and St. Nicholas be thy speed. In premise, she can milk. Aye, that she can. Item, she brews good ale. And thereof comes the proverb, blessing of your heart, you brew good ale. Item, she can sew. That's as much as to say, can she sew? Item, she can knit. 
What need a man care for a stock with a wench when she can knit him a stock? Item, she can wash and scour. A special virtue, for then she need not be washed and scoured. Item, she can spin. Then may I set the world on wheels when she can spin for her living. Item, she hath... Item, she hath many nameless virtues. That's as much as to say bastard virtues that indeed know not their fathers and therefore have no names. Here follow her vices. Close at the heels of her virtues. Item, she is not to be fasting in respect of her breath. Well, that fault may be mended with a breakfast. Read on. Item, she hath a sweet mouth. And that makes amends for her sour breath? Item, she doth talk in her sleep. Ah, it's no matter for that, so she sleep not in her talk. Item, she is slow in words. Oh, villain! That's set down among her vices? To be slow in words is a woman's only virtue. I pray thee out with, then place it for her chief virtue. Item, she is proud. Out with that too. It was Eve's legacy and cannot be tamed from her. Item, she hath no teeth. I care not for that neither because I love crusts. Item, she is cursed. Well, the best is she hath no teeth to (laughs) but... That's what I'm sorry. Well, the best is she hath no teeth to bite. Item, she will often praise her liquor. If her liquor be good, she shall. If she will not, I will, for good things should be praised. Item, she is too liberal. Of her tongue she cannot, for that's writ down she is slow of. Of her purse, of her purse she shall not, for that I'll keep shut. Now, of another thing she may, and that I cannot help. Well, proceed. Item, she hath more hair than wit, and more faults than hairs, and more wealth than faults. Stop there. I'll have her. She was mine and not mine twice or thrice in the last article. Rehearse that once more. Item. She hath more hair than wit. More hair than wit? It may be. I'll prove it. The cover of the salt hides the salt, and therefore it is more than the salt. The hair that covers the wit, it is more than the wit, for the greater hides the less. What's next? And more faults than hairs. Oh, that's monstrous. Oh, that that were out. And more wealth than faults. Now why that word makes the faults gracious. Well, I'll have her. And if it be a match, as nothing is impossible. What's then? Why? Then will I tell you that thy master stays for thee at the north gate. For me? For thee? Aye, who art thou? He hath stayed for a better man than thee. And must I go to him? Thou must run to him, for thou hast stayed so long that going will scarce serve the turn. Why didst not th- tell me why didst not tell me sooner? Pox of your love letters. Now will he be swinged for reading my letter. An unmannerly slave that will thrust himself into secrets. All after to rejoice in the boy's correction. <laughs> Thank you both. That was very nice. That is a really great exhale after what what just happened. Actually, it's it's to me. It's like that. You understand the necessity, the theatrical necessity for that for the audience. Like we need to we need to exhale. The same thing that happens uh, with the porter in Macbeth. We've just witnessed a horrific thing we need to breathe together as an audience you know that there's something really cathartic about that scene what what were your thoughts as you were going through one thing that's interesting to me is that despite like obviously the misogyny of the play and just I was going to contrast it with comedy of errors when I was first reading it because there are some uncomfy notes about women but in general they're just kind of like ah 
it doesn't matter. Whereas like in comedy of errors, it's like, so she's a globe. She's so fat and she's this and she's this and it's all faults. Whereas these, even the faults, like we, we find like funny things within. So I, I kind of appreciate this in uh-huh. that way um, because it's not just like, let's, let's completely like obliterate her. <laughs> like, even if she doesn't sound great, like he makes her sound great. He's into it, but mostly cause she has money. Um, yeah. But I love the line about like she doesn't have any teeth. That's fine. I love, I love crust. crust. That's like my favorite line in the whole thing. <laughs> I agree. That that was my favorite line too. I was like, ah, oh, a match made in heaven. Perfectly compatible. <laughs> Pretty um, funny. Um, Colin, do you have any thoughts about like sort of speed in this scene and and the relationship between the two of them? Um, well, I guess uh so for, for the most of it, I'm just reading. But um, what I can squeeze out of this, um, the, the first line is, it's how now, Senor Lance? What news with your mastership? It just feels so like, how's the weather, Lance? I just, I, I'm glad to be in your company. They yeah. seem very buddy-buddy. Like it, 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 it feels like a very throwaway line, but I feel like in that line, we, uh, we get a very casual relationship between the two. I like that. Um, it's, you know, mm. we're talking before during a rehearsal that... Um, <laughs> Uh, although like obviously yeah we do get all of the playful misogyny here um, part of the humor like falls just like on Lance's taste <laughs> like there's a little bit of mockery in Lance himself when we're going through yeah. all of this so um, and I guess that in itself can't isn't entirely divorced from the misogyny but uh, it, it brings a little bit of levity to what could be um and uh, God save me, does feel like a very Judd Apatow scene. (laughs) (laughs) He's reared his head again. Uh, Mitch, yeah, go ahead. I have a question and then potentially an observation. Are we to assume, do we think that Lance Lance has written this list of qualities? I I think yes, I think so, yes. Okay, so... If that's the case, one of the things that is like really um, nice and funny about Lance Lance uh, here and a little bit in the first story with the shoe and the family saying goodbye is like, he's, he's so in the moment. Like he wrote this. Yeah. And then it's like, as each line is read, there's a reaction that feels like very fresh. And then even <laughs> one line it, it has speed read it again and like has fresh reactions again. And yeah. that's just like so lovely. <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree. I think um, there, you know, to use sort of Laban uh, movement psychology terms, like there is a there is a wonderful nearness to these characters. They're they're just very like he knows what. Th- something else that I think is lovely about the scene is, as opposed to the sort of meditations on these women about like we, we don't know like. Lance knows what he wants, you know, (laughs) and I just want to celebrate someone (laughs) in this play being like, this is what I want. This is what I value. (laughs) I'm going to go for it. Yeah, Sam. (laughs) I I do want to say though, in, in terms of in, in listening to now we've had one high status group of men. And and I don't mean high status in terms of like the acting. I just mean in terms of like where they are in the social hierarchy um, talking about women 
And now we've had sort of the two lower class people talking about women. And I know more, like I, as an audience member, understand Lance's position here better than I understand why either of the two men, the high status men, are in love with either Julia or Sylvia. All yeah. they've done is talk about this ephemeral virtue that they have, right? Mm -hmm. they've, they've put it up on a pedestal. They've turned her into a goddess. They've, they've, besides all the misogyny in here, she makes good ale. Like these are direct, clear reasons on why I am in love with this woman. Whereas both Valentine and Proteus have actually not really ever given me a good reason other than that Julia and, and Sylvia are both apparently beautiful. But there's, there's not really other, um, like it, it's, really, it's really interesting going for all of these lofty um, but uh, ephemeral reasons for love to these very earthy but very clear and direct reasons for love, where even when we get to the faults, the faults are reasons for love. Yeah, um, and I yeah. think that that's a really interesting dichotomy set up between these two pairs of men that are moving through this play. Absolutely, and that, and and I think that is so that is so important. There, there is such a more realistic way of loving someone where you do completely acknowledge their faults with the things that you love about them. Sometimes you you love them for their faults. Um, yeah, Mitch. Well, that's also just a reality of class, too. I mean, I think it's it's being put mm -hmm. into relief by Shakespeare here. But like the practical things that Lancelot is talking about with this milkmaid don't exist, right, for Sylvia and Julia. Like, are they cooking dinner or just pouring ale, you know, et cetera? Um, <laughs> the, the, the sort of practical things are like their money and their like social status and things that are like, apart from them and so like yeah I think with these higher class men and women it's like you start grasping and like torch you know for, for these like other things that like sort of do become more and more divorced from each other because they all just they haven't really had opportunities to speak to each other that much I mean they talk yeah. to each other but the, you know and there's not really the practical realities of marriage they really don't know anything about them yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, I think it's also important that, um, you know, being able to do many things is not like something that's valued by, you know, you know, like if, if Sylvia like won the state fair every year for her amazing, like pumpkin growing skills, <laughs> I hardly doubt that that would be a part of her, you know, dowry. <laughs> um, yeah, Colin and Izzy. <laughs> One thing I do want to point out, because you know, both um, Miles and I mentioned comedy of errors in that that uncomfy scene, which is the only mention of America in Shakespeare, which is fun. Um, not the best place to mention, but okay. But um, that scene is because the woman is pursuing the wrong Dromeo. So they are only talking about her faults because he's like, she won't leave me alone because, you know, so another twin thing and so this is more like yes I am gaining these great things with this woman so even though they're they're structured very similarly with the list they're kind of opposites because it's like he's trying to see everything good in her whereas Dromeo is like 
no, <laughs> I've been running around all day away from this woman. Um, well, presumably, uh, sorry to interrupt. Presumably, the uh, presumably the other uh, Dromeo didn't mind. Exactly. Yeah. So it's just pointing out faults. But one other yeah. thing, uh, I wanted to talk just a little bit about this first little speech. Because first yes, of all, I like you. that they point out like Lance is like, yeah, Proteus is is doing some shit here. I don't know what it is, but something's going on. Yeah. But also it's yeah. not like a whole speech about it. I just, I kind of appreciate that because it could be like a two speeches of like, hmm, and my master does this, and, mm-hmm. but it's just yeah. two lines. And then it's like, now let's get to me. Um, For me, it actually makes Lance even more emotionally intelligent for just being like, he's, he's a schmuck. But let me tell you about me, audience. Yeah. <laughs> like, And I, I just, I mean, it's a classic like setup of like, I'm not this, I am, I do, you know, like yeah. um, it's not too deep in it, but it's well-structured. So it's fun, I think. Um, and then I love, I just love the, that she has more qualities than a water spaniel. Just, yeah. To yeah, me, just, that's like, does that mean that crab is a water spaniel? Like, is it, are, yeah. is that what we're meant to, to, to read? That like, she, she might be better than my dog. <laughs> like, yes. And that's really saying something. So yeah. I know. Yeah. I, I, th- I just love also just the, you know, the last thing Lance was left with was like, so yeah, if you see speed, like please send him as fast as possible. <laughs> Just detain him for as long as you possibly can. And then you're like, oh, by the way, you're urgently needed. He's like, are you fucking kidding me? You know, <laughs> there's something really, there's so there's really fun because I feel like we, the audience forget that he's urgently needed. So you reminding us at the end of the scene is like a very fun little like, and point me, you know, wash my hands of it. Yeah, lovely. Um, shall we move on to our second and final scene of Act 3, where we spend some more time with Cheerio, the Duke, and Proteus, and let's just have a special notice of the kind of language that Proteus employs at the end of this scene, just having, a, having an ear for that. All right, have fun, everyone. Sertorio, fear not, but that she will love you. Now Valentine is banished from her sight. Since his exile, she hath despised me most, forsworn my company, and railed at me that I am desperate of obtaining her. This weak impress of love is as a figure, trenchant in ice, which with an hour's heat dissolves to water and doth lose his form. A little time will melt her frozen thoughts, and worthless Valentine shall be forgot. How now, Sabrotius? Is your countryman, according to our proclamation, gone? Gone, my good lord. Oh, my daughter takes his going grievously. A little time, my lord, will kill that grief. So I believe, but Turio thinks not so. Good conceit I hold of thee, for thou hast shown some sign of good desert. Makes me the better to confer with thee. Longer than I prove loyal to your grace, let me not live to look upon your grace. Thou knowest how willingly I would affect the match between Sir Turio and my daughter. I do, my lord. And also I think thou art not ignorant how she opposes her against my will. 
She did, my lord, when Valentine was here. Aye, and perversely she persevers so. What might we do to make the girl forget the love of Valentine and love Sir Turrell? The best way is to slander Valentine with falsehood, cowardice, and poor dissent, three things that women highly hold in hate. Aye, but she'll think that is spoken hate. Aye, if his enemy deliver it. Therefore, it must with circumstance be spoken by one whom she esteemeth as his friend. Then you must undertake to slander him. And that, my lord, I shall be loath to do. Tis an ill office for a gentleman, especially against his very friend. Where your good word cannot advantage him, your slander can never endamage him. Therefore the office is indifferent, being entreated to it by your friend. You have prevailed, my lord. If I can do it by aught that I can speak in his dispraise, she shall not long continue love to him. But say this weed her love from Valentine. It follows not that she will love Sir Cheerio. Therefore, as you unwind her love from him, lest it should ravel and be good to none, you must provide to bottom it on me, which must be done by praising me as much as you in worth dispraise Sir Valentine. And Proteus, we dare trust you in this kind, because we know on Valentine's report you are already love's firm votary, and cannot soon revolt and change your mind. Upon this warrant shall you have excess where you with Sylvia may confer at large, for she is lumpish, heavy, melancholy, and for your friend's sake will be glad of you, where you may temper her by your persuasion to hate young Valentine and love my friend. As much as I can do, I will effect. But you, Sir Cheerio, are not sharp enough. You must lay lime to tangle her desires by wailful sonnets, whose composed rhymes should be full fraught with serviceable vows. Aye, and much is the force of heaven-bred poesy. Say that upon the altar of her beauty you sacrifice your tears, your sighs, your heart. Write till your ink be dry, and with your tears moist it again, and frame some feeling line that may discover such integrity. For Orpheus' lute was strung with poet's sinews, whose golden touch could soften steel and stones, make tigers tame, and huge leviathans forsake unsounded deeps to dance on sands. After your dire lamenting elegies, visit by night your lady's chamber window with some sweet consort. To their instruments, tune a deploring dump. The night's dead silence will well become such sweet complaining grievance. This or else nothing will inherit her. This discipline shows that thou hast been in love. Thy advice, this night I'll put in practice. Therefore, sweet Proteus, my direction giver, let us into the city presently to sort some gentleman well-skilled in music. I have a sonnet that will serve the turn to give thee onset to thy good advice. About it, gentlemen. We'll wait upon your grace till after supper, and afterward determine our proceedings. Even now, about it, I will pardon you. Lovely. Miles, I am getting such strong Sir Andrew Ague cheek vibes from your <laughs> <Yes>. cheerio. <laughs> I'm really yeah. enjoying that. <laughs> yeah, because, and I think it's kind of like even more... Uh, it's really pronounced because it's really uh, the Duke and the Duke and Proteus who do all 
pretty they do pretty much do all the talking in this scene he's just yeah. he's just kind of along for the ride he's just a uh just a cost a what means a cost I know. Yes. <laughs> I, 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 I really just when i when i directed 12th night i had my sir andrew carry around a notebook and like every time, you know, one of the big words would be said, he would like get out the book and scribble it down. <laughs> and I, I feel like that's I get that vibe from Sir Churio as like as like as Proteus is saying, say upon the altar of her beauty you sacrifice. How do you spell sacrifice? You know, like yes. I, I just get that that vibe that he's like writing this down as as Proteus is <laughs> saying. Anyway, I just really yeah. enjoyed the character of Churio. And what you're doing with it. So thank yeah, you so and, much. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. And, and just kind of like a just kind of like a little bit of a toy poodle in there yes, too, I think. Very much. Like, and, and, and don't don't forget to say nice things about me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so all three of you sort of what this is such an odd scene after what we after what we just saw. We had such a dramatic scene, so much conflict. And here we have like applauding for for like i mean we see in a way it's very useful we see how good proteus is at manipulating people in general um but also yeah i, I don't know it's just it strikes me as a very odd scene i, I don't quite know why well i think we need it plot wise because mm -hmm. we've just accomplished like one of the big things of the play yeah. which is like Valentine is gone. He Valentine has been banished. Has been banished. <laughs> and it's like, we need to sort of reset what the next driving force is. Like Proteus Absolutely. said it before, but I think it's easy to forget because that was such an event, like getting yeah. rid of Valentine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think that it's like, let's get rid of Sylvia already. Come on, let's just get this done with. You know, I got to get this lump this melancholy girl off my hands. And so get her married and let's move on here. So it's sort of like uh, intervention, you yeah. know, Proteus, come on, you, you're, you're going to do this. So yeah. it's back to that, you know, get back. Let's get things on track again. You know? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I also found, so Thinking about Proteus, yeah, I do think it's like a pretty expert job of manipulation. Yes. And also, I think there's some reinforcement for the theory we sort of had in the last scene that Proteus is riding high a little bit. I, I think that he mm. does get a little bold in like making his double entendres like explicit. Like here, he's saying some things out loud that have hidden meanings that he like doesn't have to do. Yeah. Um, longer than I prove loyal to your grace, let me not live to look upon your grace. Obviously, means like I'm going to be loyal to you, and or I should be loyal to you until I die. But it also can mean like once I betray you, I never want to see you again. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> don't let me live to look upon your grace <laughs> once yeah. I betray you. Um, That's a great point. And then I think the speech you were referring to later, yeah. uh, where like I, I don't know if you want to talk about it now or later. Um, oh, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, it's like all of the, the language about these songs is like really um, negative, yeah. wailful tune. And like, that's okay. It could mean wailful tune. Like none of these 
all of these are possible like Elizabethan meanings of these yeah <laughs> like words but like also he's I think he I don't know if he's mocking Cheerio or just like getting off on how bad this is going to be tuna deploring dump that is <laughs> such a great phrase right yes oh it my is gosh yeah you know you want those deploring dumps yeah go ahead sam <laughs> um you know we've been talking about a lot of the great shakespeare dissemblers but it this one where this particular scene where i think that it almost goes to like Iago, it goes to an iago place because like i always sort of thought the key to iago is it the what's he that says i play the villain when this advice is free i give and honest pro-ball to thinking and indeed the course to win the form. Um, you know, part of what makes Iago such a dangerous, snaky character is as much as he's trying to fuck everybody in the play, he's also giving, he's doing it by giving good advice sometimes, twisting yeah. it. He knows how to lie by telling the truth. And that's what makes Iago such a, a dangerous dissembler. And right here in this scene, you know, What's a good way to, to, to win a woman's heart? Write her a poem. But then the advice that I'm going to give you about to write this poem is going to be terrible and backfire <laughs> on you. And, and I, I really do think that we, we're there, as much as there are all these shades of, of other plays that are maybe that we're reading into this or actually mm -hmm. are here because they're all bubbling up inside of him at this point. I do think that this is this particular scene with just how Proteus is playing everybody now is kind of on an Iago level a little bit, mm -hmm. um, which is impressive considering that he's a moony little love boy at the beginning of this play. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I, I do, it's, it's interesting how how we engage with mythology, right? How the lovers always engage with mythology and that Leander and Hero has been a story, of course, that's made an appearance already twice in this play. And now we get Orpheus and we get, you know, we, we, we go on the ultimate journey for love. Um, and, and I think that's, that's important that those are in here. And to me, it also just puts young Shakespeare in the, I think he was a total nerd at school. I think he loved doing his translations of Ovid and was like, just really into this stuff <laughs> because he references it so much. And maybe I think he was a nerd because I tend to like Shakespeare and I'm kind of a nerd. So, you know, we always project on the, you know, what, what, what we, what we, what we wanted all the, all the things to be, but, um, I do, I do wonder about this. I don't know what this, this speech is so arresting to me, this on the altar of her beauty. It is the, the first bit of, bit of it really kind of seduces us. I feel like the listeners, and then you get to the part frame some feeling line that may discover such integrity here meaning that may reveal your devotion here right so there there is an interesting it's like he's in a weird way to get back to what sam you were saying he's in a weird way here telling the truth about how he feels about sylvia 
and and there is something really true about this speech to me that even though he is giving advice it's almost there there's something deep about this and i think it has to be because the duke goes whoa so i i I see that from the way that you speak about love, you must have been in love at some point during your life, well, you know. Well, it's how he phrases them because yeah. the, the deploring dump is a song you sing when someone is down in the dumps. Yeah. It's, it actually has that meaning. That is the Elizabethan meaning. So, but to our ears, it sounds like a, the most horrible thing in the world. Yeah. So, you know, I, and, but it also meant dump, you know. Um, so I, Pro, I think Proteus is just right there, right in the middle, saying both meanings, and you can yeah. take it what you will. So it's the gloss of, 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 of in invoking all the love, you know, all, all yeah. the great heroes of love. But it's all going to, you know, it's all not going to work. And yeah. um, so to the Duke's ear, he hits all the right notes, even yeah. even though there's like, is there some... You know, it's so complex. And that's yeah. why I thought maybe I should be giving that my next line to him instead of advice to Turio, because it could go either way. Yeah. It's like, wow, that was really good. You must be in love. Yeah. You know, I wish I was in love like that. I never experienced that. I'm just this stupid duke, you know, <laughs> and I do everything by the book, you know, and what is love anyway? Just get Sylvia out of here. But on the other hand, it could be, Turio, this discipline shows you've been in love. You know. Yeah. So the oh, line can go like either way. Yeah. It could be instructional. That's right. That's really interesting. I actually quite like that. Mm. I know you probably would now because I like the other way, <laughs> and that is because because it you know all the Duke's lines. You, we there's no depth. Sometimes there's no depth to them, and uh -huh. for him to go, my God, that was good. Yeah, no. I, I like, like love. I like that. That sounds really good. Let's go do that. Yeah. I think the reason I went, oh, is because I just hadn't thought of it as being an, uh. like an educational line to Cheerio. That didn't occur to me. So that's really interesting. Um, well, he's already done that. Yeah. Yeah, but. You know, the Duke is already like, get to it, get to it, get to it. So it's just like, if I can give him a line that means something else. Mm -hmm. I just suddenly I, I feel like I can give him, he's more 3D and more yeah, less yeah. symbolic or whatever, you know, that's all. Yeah. It's just, yeah. You know. Mitch, did you have something? As well, well, I was just going to say to some degree, it is, it is a question of, of what Proteus is doing though, right? Yeah. Like is sort of the thing we have that has to be decided here. And yeah, I mean, I, I've gone back and forth actually, as I've been listening to this conversation, it's <laughs> been really interesting, but I, it, it feels sort of wrong to me that Proteus would be manipulating this situation and he wants Cheerio to to go talk to her he wants Cheerio to do this love song and it feels yeah. sort of wrong to me that like he would get like lost sort of in the description of the of the love sure. song sure. Um, so I, I think it's gotta be like why does he want Cheerio to go to the love song I think he knows it's gonna be bad so I yeah. think he has to which yeah. is sort of my was my first instinct, right? He has to like really appeal to something in Cheerio yeah. to get him to like really want to go do this. And I so I don't think it really can be about Proteus. I think it's gotta uh -huh. be about 
I mean, obviously he knows how to say these things because he's learned and also has felt things, but like, he's got to be doing something to Cheerio, I think. Yeah. And I think, and I think I would say that he is working his magic on Cheerio. And I'm right? eating it up but with a spoon. In this way, he's trying to, he's trying to tell him how to talk to Sylvia. He's actually in this strange way, kind of seducing the Duke and Cheerio with these words, yeah. I guess is kind of the point I'm trying to make. Um, yeah, Sam, go ahead. This is a terrible plan. Like it is a terrible, yeah. <laughs> terrible, yeah. terrible plan. And it is purposefully a terrible plan because the one thing that we definitely know about Sylvia and how she feels about people, she hates Churio. She hates him. We have multiple lines throughout the course of this about how much she really, really, really dislikes him. And the servants know this. Uh, Valentine knows this. And because Valentine knows it, Proteus knows it. And what would be most annoying to Sylvia here if she really loathes Churio? To have Churio outside of her bedroom window singing love sonnets to him. It is it is the last piece of advice if you were honestly trying to get Churio into Sylvia's good graces. You'd be like, you know what? You need to back off a little bit, dude. Right now, you're like a little bit overbearing. And, and she doesn't like that. So you need to like ease back a little bit here and maybe think that the match is like, we can like do weird other good advice or what have you, but the advice specifically for the character of Churio to go read or sing an overwritten sonnet underneath her window while she's mourning the loss of her actual lover is just going to do nothing but make her hate him more. And I think that that is exactly what Proteus is intending. Yeah. Like, I think that that is exactly what is going on underneath this. Absolutely. And I, I actually wonder because it's just so, it's so out in the open that actually he's not planning on slandering Valentine because that would also be a way in which um, that would be so suspect, I think. Well, yeah, I think he sort of needs both though, right? He's got to get Cheerio out of the picture and he needs her to get over Valentine. Yeah, yeah. So I wonder, yeah. But the, uh, yeah, no, and I think it's really complicated what he's trying to do here. I think this is what we're getting to is that he, he has to push all the right buttons, but as he's stated in his previous, um, soliloquies he has no idea what sylvia is going you know how sylvia is going to react to to all this we do know one thing that sylvia actually likes and we do know one of the ways that valentine managed to woo sylvia was just by making fun of her like the Mm -hmm. one direct path that we have for why sylvia likes valentine is, is that we have that whole little wit battle that the two of them have where yeah. Sylvia's like, shut the fuck up, Churio, you lost. Like, that's <laughs> the... And, and she seems really, like, pleased about that. So I do think that there is... that if, if there is a way that Proteus might know how to get into Sylvia's good graces, it's like making Churio look like an asshole and then going like... <laughs> God, that Churio is such an asshole. Yeah. Like, I think that that is, and it's because right now, what we've seen in the play, that is like the one wooing strategy that we have actually documented in the text of this play towards Sylvia. Yeah, it's very mean girls. 
Um, mm. Jane. <laughs> I'm really hung up on Sam's Yago reference. <laughs> it's just been like jostling around in my brain throughout this whole conversation. And I'm starting to entertain the hypothesis that Proteus is like the prototypical Iago. And I'm wondering yeah. if Proteus is actually doesn't give a flying fuck about any of these. Well, I don't think he actually gives a flying fuck about any of these women. That is clear. <laughs> I think he's actually one, just sort of interested in winning, but maybe mm. even more so interested in stirring up chaos, right? I mean, mm. one of the things that all the critics will say about Iago is that he's a very distinct villain right, of Shakespeare, of Shakespearean villains, right? Yeah. Um, where there doesn't seem to be like, you know, the, the Freudian insight into his turbulent childhood that led him to become the horrible human that he becomes, right? Like, we don't know right. why Iago acts the way he acts, but he seems to just thrive on getting yeah. people to do things that yeah. harm themselves, right? That yeah. put them in terrible positions as individuals and in their relationships to others. And Proteus seems like, that might be more what he's getting at than actually trying to get the girl or anything else. He actually seems to be just kind of enjoying his manipulative power over others. I, I do wonder if part of his trying to get Sylvia away from, I, I, I do wonder if there is, to me, this is all connected more to Valentine than it is to Sylvia. That that's, that's yeah. really what I, I, I wanted to bring up Mitch, you had your hand up, my dear. Um, yeah, I, I, I really like this. I think one difference, a subtle difference between Proteus and Iago is that Iago comes right out from the beginning and is in that place. And I do think we've seen Proteus go through a progression from being like a Romeo character to being I, I do think a, a, an Iago-esque character, an Angelo-esque character, who it's the power. Yeah, more Iago. Where, where he's like sort of drunk on this power. It lends some credence to Sam's, um, I mean, which I've always liked, um, Sam's incel sort of, <laughs> Proteus incel sort of analogy, right? Like if he hasn't been that high status, you know, whatever, and now he's got, he's starting to get it and he really likes how that feels and he likes that game. But regardless of that, we've watched him go from not that to like having a little bit of success with it and like really liking how it feels, I think. Absolutely. Getting drunk on power. Yeah, Larry. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's again, I, I think it's a, there's something dual going on here. Uh, and I, and I, it's just finding the balance. But if we leave out the fact that I think Proteus could woo Sylvia while standing on his head making pancakes and ironing at the same time, he can do this. It's not a problem to him. Do you know what I mean? He knows how to do this stuff. So that's why he's giving the advice to uh, Turio because Turio can't do it. There's no way he can do it. But he's perfect. You know, he knows how to pull all this advice, he would know how to do it in a way that would win the woman. Maybe. I, like, you if think? it doesn't, well, it doesn't work, right? So he does go for it and it doesn't work, which we could say is partially just because she's already in love with Valentine, right? And she knows that Proteus is a jerk at that point because she knows Proteus was supposed to be in love with Julia. But it also could be, like, I don't know. <laughs> um, no, I, it's not necessarily for Sylvia. It's for any woman. 
he knows what to do to get someone. Because he if he's the ultimate manipulator, he knows how to do it. Yeah. I, I do think I do think in the language he's definitely he's definitely going for um the most intense, most overblown <laughs> because he really wants he really wants yeah. Churio to go, I think, for overblown language. Oh yeah. I also absolutely. like this thing about how we know that Sylvia doesn't like him. I'm also thinking, and I'd be interested because um, I haven't focused on Sylvia specifically enough to say this with, for, with certainty, but I don't know that we have evidence that she likes like poetry, right? Like she has Valentine write a letter to himself so she doesn't have to do it, right? <laughs> um, like yes. I think there's some evidence that she actually mm. doesn't like this stuff at all. And so, yes, Larry, like I think that's right. I think, I think even in that case, uh, Proteus has a sense that that's the wrong way. <laughs> To get right. to get this particular woman, and so he sends Cheerio down that path. Yeah. So Proteus does have some more sense than Cheerio, I think. Yeah. What's going on. I mean, I, I think Proteus could pull a Cyrano out of out of his hand, you know, out of his back pocket, <laughs> and he would love it, and he would be able to do everything that's in these lines, but do it in a Cyrano like way. Do you know? <laughs> and we would go, "Oh my God, <laughs> I'm in love," you know. But what's so brilliant, I think, is that we have the real him in those soliloquies. And I think that is the gift um, of the character, is those, mm-hmm. those moments alone with the audience that I think the more I think about it, the more I think can be real moments of, of kind of self-doubt and self-torture. Yeah. And actually, if he isn't sort of a mustachio-twirling villain, that there's actually we watch him turn into a manipulator mm. in a really interesting journey for that character. Yeah. Izzy and Colin. Yeah. Like I think he's the one thing that jumps out to me is that maybe like, yes, he's artful in all of this, but it also seems like all these, all of these guys are just so clueless with women that it's like, it's like that classic, like, in Sal's idea of like, no, I know how women work yeah. and not working because this. Um, and also like, just like the player's handbook that people joke about, like I, it feels more like that because with with Julia, it feels like he's just like, oh, I, I think I actually feel this, which, you know, I think is more believable to anyone who is receiving that information is like, okay, yeah, and I'm also into this. Whereas with, it's so like obviously manipulative to Sylvia, I think that it makes sense why she's just like, no, that's stupid. But like, it also makes sense why some of the other guys are like, okay, not that the other guys are just stupid or anything, but this idea of like, I'm presenting myself as having this status, having this knowledge about women, um, which, I mean, like, <laughs> tales of time, but like, it also sometimes works because of the status of the men of like what you're allowed to do and not allowed to do. So what's interesting to me is not that he's this amazing player, is just that he says he's this amazing player and people believe him. That's more interesting to me almost than just the idea of him being like an amazing manipulator to women. Yeah. I- I, I agree. I th- and I think he's becoming good at this manipulation on the fly. And I think it's the men who he's able to manipulate. 
And I think a lot of that is because it changes, yeah, it changes comment to something saying basically the same thing. I, I think probably it feels to me like a lot of the reason he's good at that is because he is feeling what a lot of these men might be feeling. Like he's indulging a lot of these like sort of like desires for power in this like sort of male sphere. He's feeling a lot of these like um, lustful feelings about women, possessive feelings about women. And I think he he's like discovering in that moment that that gives him an insight into how to manipulate the other men. I think that's great. And I think that's a great place for us to end act three, because as we'll see, there's, there's, it doesn't work as well on the women in act four. Um, So thank you everyone for a really interesting conversation.